0: Jonah, chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. And he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice. Today I want to speak to you about the cry of the heart. That touches the heart of God. It's the cry of the heart. You may be seated. <clears throat> For many people, prayer is a last resort. When prayer really should be our first resource. We should pray first. Before we are at Our wits in. The place that prayer has in our lives really shows our understanding or lack of understanding about the power of prayer. The place of priority that you give prayer in your life shows God and should show you how much you believe in the power of prayer. Many people become discouraged because prayers are not always instantly answered and they pray but they faint. And Jesus said that we ought always to pray and not faint, not give up praying. God does hear our prayer. The Bible teaches us that there is more than one purpose in prayer and there is also more than one purpose dimension a prayer today the kind of prayer that i am talking about is the prayer that emanates deep in the heart or deep from the heart of a person it is a prayer that touches the heart of god that comes from the cry of the human heart the word cry occurs in 168 verses in the king james version of the bible And cry can mean to to shout loudly. Cry aloud. Shout aloud, thou inhabitants of Zion. A cry can mean an emotion that is accompanied with tears when tears stream down our face, weeping and crying. But the kind of cry that is depicted in so many verses in the Bible may or may not be accompanied with tears. But it is a deep expression of, of the heart. I am struck by the idea that in the Hebrew the word cry sounds like it is said. It is it sounds like a cry of a heart. It is mimetic word for whatever that would be worth to you. The cry of the heart is a depth of prayer. It comes from a sincerity of heart, a desperation in prayer that moves the heart. Of God. Anything less than heartfelt prayer will not move him because it has not moved us. But when prayer comes from the cry of the heart, it moves the heart of God. In the days of the Egyptian bondage, God's people had been there as house guests. Now after 400 years, They are enslaved and there is the lash of the whip on the back and there is the toll of bricks that must be baked every day. And the Bible said that the children of Israel sighed. Everybody do a deep sigh. They sighed by reason of the bondage and then they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. They sighed. They felt the depth of despair, the oppression, the slavery, the bondage. And many people sigh under the load of the burden of life. People sigh when they're under stress. They sigh when they can't figure out what to do. But it is a sigh that is then turned upward in a cry that grabs the attention of God. Millions of people every day sigh in this world because of the weight of the burden of life. But it is only people who look up to God and turn a sigh into a cry that moves the heart of God. That cry of the heart touches the heart of God. The Lord told Moses, I have heard the cry of my people by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrow. It is when a burden becomes unbearable that you pray like that. In the days of Esther... The orphan girl who becomes the queen of Xerxes, the king of Persia, the most powerful land in the world. Esther, the orphan Jewish girl, is queen, lives in the palace. Her cousin Mordecai has raised her from an orphan up. And Mordecai learns of a plot by wicked Haman to destroy all the Jews out of the land. Haman has built a gallows on which Mordecai will be hanged. But Mordecai begins to cry unto the Lord. Esther 4 and 1, he cried with a loud and bitter cry and came even before the king's gate. And the word spread throughout the provinces Of Persia and Jewish people who were praying for their life, the Bible said there was great mourning among the Jews and fasting and weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes, a place of mourning. Now, in sophisticated modern America, this may not go over very well, but in those days, those desperate people learned that a loud and bitter cry, a cry of the heart accompanied with weeping and fasting, touches the heart of God. Amen. It was God that heard the prayer of Mordecai and every praying Jew in all the land of Persia, and God reversed the curse. God delivered them from their oppressors, and wicked Haman was hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. If you would find a place to cry unto God, God can reverse the curse that you're under. God can change the circumstances Circumstances of your life you may think that there is no way out but if you would cry unto God you would find a God whose heart is turned toward you it is a cry of the heart that moves the cry of God in the days when Jesus was on the earth the days of his flesh toward the end of his ministry is passing in and out of Jericho there is a blind man named Bartimaeus who sat by the roadside begging. And when he heard that Jesus was coming down the road, the Bible said that blind Bartimaeus began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. All the people in the crowd, even the disciples of Jesus, who often got it wrong, just like they did last week about little children, they said to him, Bartimaeus, Hold your peace. Be quiet. This is out of order. This is improper. But the Bible says that Bartimaeus would not hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal. The son of David, have mercy on me. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. You would say, I would never do anything like that. Probably so, and you would go home blind. But Bartimaeus said, I'm not leaving blind because the healer of blinded eyes is passing by. He will never be by this road again. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And the Bible said that Jesus stood still. He stopped in his tracks. He was headed to Jerusalem to be crucified, but there he stopped and called Bartimaeus to him. He cast his garment of blindness and begging, and Jesus Christ healed him. Immediately his sight was recovered, and he followed Jesus Christ. I'm just saying that on this Sunday, if you would cry to God from the depth of your soul, if you would lay aside your pride, if you would lay aside protocol, if you would say, Jesus Thou son of David, have mercy on me. The cry of your heart would touch the heart of God. The Psalms are filled with prayers like this. I will not take time to read the verses or even give the references, but trust me, they are there in the context of a cry of the heart. It is an audible cry lifting my voice. It is a cry of humility when you have come to the end of yourself and relying on God alone. It is a sincere cry that is not just lip service, not from feigned lips, the Bible says. It is a cry of a distressed heart. In my distress, I called unto the Lord. I cried unto my God. It is a cry of surrender, for the Bible says that I cry unto God with the lifting of my hands. It is a surrendered cry. It is the cry of a righteous heart, someone who has made their life right with God by turning from sin to God. It is a cry that emanates often from a broken heart, a wounded heart, a heart that cannot take the hurt any more. It's a patient cry that understands that God does not always answer immediately. It is not a microwave prayer. It is a persistent cry over and over in the Psalms. You will read evening and morning, and at noon I will pray and cry aloud, and he will hear my voice. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried day." And night before you. And often it is a cry of an overwhelmed heart, of a person that feels that they are drowning in despair, drowning in circumstances over which they have no control and cannot seem to make a difference. It is a cry of a distressed heart that reaches out to God. And a heart of reverence. But it is not like some formula or a recipe or 14 kinds of prayer that is surrendered up to God. It is something that grows out of the depth of a soul of a person who is reaching out to God. It is the cry of the heart that moves the heart of God. And that's the kind of prayer that Jonah prayed. You know, Jonah, Jonah in the belly of the whale... All you churchgoers learned it in Sunday school. Jonah's a prophet of God. He knows who he is. He's a Jewish man. He knows he's called. And the voice of the Lord comes to Jonah and God says, Jonah, I want you to go down to Nineveh, that great city, and I want you to cry against it for their wickedness is great. It has come up before me. Now the kingdom of Nineveh was a larger city than even Babylon. It was a fortified city both naturally and by those fortifications that had been constructed. Jonah did not like the Ninevites. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. If the Ninevites are spared, then they will become a threat to Israel. Israel. And if I go and preach to them yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. And if they pray and repent, then God will forgive them and I'll look like a false prophet. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh to preach against that city's sin. So Jonah did what people do when they do not want to do what God commands. They run. Jonah ran. He ran from Jerusalem or wherever the vision came, the call came. He ran to Joppa, that seaport city, and he boarded a boat, paid the fare, and he was headed to Tarshish, a Phoenician city of Spain. Here he is now. I will flee from the presence of the Lord because God is everywhere, but he rules in Jerusalem and I'll just kind of throw this in for good measure, that when you run from God, there is a very high fare to pay. Jonah paid his fare, but he has not finished paying the price for his rebellion. He has just begun to pay the price when he bought his ticket onto the fastest ship to to that Phoenician city of Tarshish. No longer is he on the boat. They sail out into the Mediterranean Sea, and God looks down and says, Hmm, see, so we have a problem here. We have a runaway prophet not fulfilling his assignment. Let's see, what can we do? And God calls for a vicious storm to blow on the sea, and the mariners, the shipmaster, all of the expert sailors are scared out of their mind. They're praying to their heathen gods, and Jonah. The runaway preacher has slipped down into the hold of the ship and he is snoring in the storm. The shipmaster goes down to him. The ship is about to break apart in the waves. Those beams are groaning and creaking, and the sailors are rowing and they're afraid for their lives. And the shipmaster says, What are you doing asleep? Arise, call upon your God. Maybe he will help us that we perish not. Maybe your God can do something about this. Well, Jonah gets up, but he doesn't pray. The sailors are superstitious. They cast lots to find out who's the guilty party because a storm like this is out of the ordinary. It is not normal. It is not like the Uro- Urochil of Acts chapter 27. This is not a time of dangerous sailing. This is a supernatural storm concocted by God to discipline and redirect a runaway prophet. And they know that there's something weird about this storm. They cast lots. The lot falls to Jonah and they say, who in the world are you? What are you doing here? I'm a person of Israel, a prophet of God. He tells the whole story to them. God called me to go to Nineveh, but I'm running away. I caught the ship at Joppa. I'm going down to Tarshish. I'm running from the presence of the Lord. The sailors ask, what's the solution? Jonah says, throw me overboard. That's the only way. You're going to have relief from the storm. But these men, pagan as they were kind of counted him as a customer and they said we can't do this so they began to row against the storm to try to bring the ship to land but the harder they tried the behinder they got there was no progress in moving toward land because you cannot fight against God no matter what you try to do you can try to plan and scheme and work you can try to manipulate but you cannot make the storm go away by human effort it never will work they're praying they don't know what to do they don't want to throw Jonah overboard finally they know it's their only recourse so they say God for this prophet we're about to cast into the sea please forgive us we would not do it But it seems to be the only solution. And with a mighty heave-ho, they took this runaway prophet and they cast him out into the Mediterranean Sea. And when Jonah's body hit the water, the Bible said when they cast him into the sea, the sea ceased from her raging. Just like that. On the ship, they're blown away by this miracle of the storm that has been stilled. And they offered sacrifices to the God of Jonah who is now treading water. Trying to be a Navy SEAL. He is swimming for his life. Floating, trying to survive. The heat of the Mediterranean, the salt water is getting to Jonah. We don't know how long he's adrift at sea. Jonah knows eventually he will have to die after all. He's running away. He's paying the price for his sins, his rebellion. So there he is. I would imagine that he envisions his death. Maybe he sees a ring of shark fins around him, wondering if they're going to close in for the kill and wear a shark bite, you know, to take him out. And there's Jonah floating around in the sea, paying an even higher price for his rebellion. But then Jonah looks up, and he sees something coming his way. Now the Bible says it is a great fish that God prepared. Jesus said that Jonah was in the whale's belly for three days and nights, But if you study the Greek language in which the New Testament was written in, in the original language, it is not a whale. It is a great fish. Even some translations like the NASB will say a sea monster. Use your imagination. It is a great fish that God has prepared. Its mouth is bigger than Jonah, and he is swimming straight toward the runaway prophet He is like a giant vacuum cleaner that is sucking in water and plankton and animals and the prophet of God over the lips, past the gums. Look out, stomach. Here he comes. It's Jonah. No! But it wasn't all that funny to Jonah. In the belly of the whale, the great fish, Jonah, thinks, I'm dead. I'm not dead. It's black, dark. This is where seafood meets stomach acids. Jonah is there. He can feel the strong ribcage of this animal. The Bible says this. He calls it the depths of hell. Jonah is there. He talks about the seaweed being wrapped around his head. I am not making this up. It is in your Bible, in the book of Jonah. Jonah is in despair. Jonah thought, like, what what could be worse than being eaten by sharks, swallowed by a shark, or whatever in one giant bite? He's awake. He's alert. He's down in the belly of a great fish. And the sea creature, I'm sure, dives and surfaces, and Jonah feels the pressure. I think this giant fish, three days and three nights, is eating more food, and Jonah has company. It's everything that he sucks into his giant mouth. You know, that's how the way they do. They just kind of vacuum it in. That suction that they have, those giant fish. Jonah's thinking about this. It's miserable there, but he's breathing. He's alive. I don't think he's eating. I think he's on a fast. And God is smiling. He has Jonah right where he wants him. Run, will you? Have I got a plan for you? The ship that was headed to Tarshish has now turned into a submarine headed toward Nineveh. Jonah is there And the Bible says he's there three days and three nights. I have evidence in the Scripture according to chapter 2, verse 7. Jonah says, when my soul painted within me, the New Living Translation says, as my life was slipping away. I really believe that the Scripture bears this out, that Jonah was such a stubborn man. He's probably beating himself up. That he's in there three days and three nights, but he waits until it's almost too late. To pray, but he does pray. Out of the belly of the whale, the fish's belly, he prays to God. The Bible said, I cried by reason of my affliction, and the Lord heard me. Out of the belly of hell I cried, and thou heardest my voice. God? God, 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 reverb in the bellies. I don't know. God, it's Jonah. I'm finished, God. Tired of running, God. I don't know where north, south, east or west is, but I'm gonna pray towards your holy temple. He prays a very devout prayer. You would pray a devout prayer too if you were there in the belly of a great fish. He prays and describes that his life is slipping away, but he's turning to God in prayer. And as Jonah prays, the whale, the great fish, the sea monster, whatever, begins to become nauseated. He has eaten something that is not agreeing with him. His stomach is rolling. He is convulsing with nausea. He is sick. He's getting sicker. He is the sickest great fish in the Mediterranean Sea, but he's swimming toward land. And as he gets close, the Bible says that the great fish Vomited Jonah out. Just like that. Jonah is gathering his wits and he smells like a seaweed and sardine sandwich that's been fermenting for three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish. Where seafood meets stomach acids. Now Tarshish is 600 miles northeast of Jerusalem. So he's got a long way to go. But I wonder, I just wonder if anybody was watching that day when the prophet of God was vomited up on the shore. I thought, oh my God. What have we here? The most amazing thing, though, the Bible says that the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. Now, God doesn't owe you a second chance. God does not owe me a second chance. I would think that there are other prophets in Israel, maybe not as rebellious as Jonah and there are probably people in the world who are more compliant to God than you and yet God in his mercy lets his voice come to us a second time and a third time and again and again because he loves us and he does have a plan for our lives The voice of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, and the Lord said to him, Sound familiar to you? Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee, Jonah, I haven't changed my message, but it looks like I have changed my profit. It was from the belly of the great fish that Jonah said, I will pay my vows. I've made up my mind that I will do what God has called me to do. But I'm preaching some to someone today, not just to your head, but to the heart of a person who would say, it looks like I, my life is slipping away. It feels like there's nowhere to go, but out of the belly of hell, out of a place of an endless desperation, I will cry unto the Lord. I will lift up my voice to God. you have got to get to that place. Because a prayer that does not come from your heart does not touch the heart of God. I'm not preaching today to reach your intellect, although this sermon is intellectually and theologically sound. But I am preaching to reach the heart of people who maybe are too cerebral, too rational, trying to figure it out. Why don't you stop? In your tracks, before you're in the belly of a whale, and cry to God and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. I cry, I cry, I cry out to you. It is a cry of a heart that depth of crying that abandons every other alternative all the other options all the plan b c's d's that you could concoct it says okay god I'm not waiting till I'm in a place of desperation where my life is slipping away but if you are and god has given you breath and he has given you a prayer. In the Bible, the Lord told Ezekiel, I want you to go through the midst of the city, throughout Jerusalem. And I want you to set a mark on the forehead of every man that is sighing and crying for the abominations that are done in this land. In Lamentations, Jeremiah said, Let tears run down like a river day and night, and give thyself no rest. Arise, call out in the night, cry out in the night, pour out your heart like water, lift up your hands toward him for the life of thy young children that faint for hunger in the top of every street. To Joel, the Lord said, Call your people to come and lay all night in sackcloth, that garment of mourning, Let the ministers of God pray, gather the elders, call the inhabitants of the land, get everybody to the church, let the priest, that minister of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, spare thy people, O God. In the days of his flesh, the Bible said that Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears. And we know that in the garden of Gethsemane that his prayer was so fervent that his tears became as great drops of blood falling down to the ground. James said that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. In the chronicle writer, the Lord said, if my people which are called... By my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. It is time for someone to cry from the depth of their soul to God. You may say, well, Brother Johns, I am not in the belly of a whale. I am not. My life is not slipping away but what about the life of God in America? We are in a place that somebody needs to cry for God to save this nation and our families and our souls. Amen. You may think that God doesn't know where you are, but I want you to know today That God has never lost track of you. So well, you you just can't comprehend it. Well, I can comprehend it. I've just talked about a guy in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea in the belly of a great fish. And God knew exactly where he was and exactly how he was. You've used global positioning systems. Some of you may have. I was amazed a week or so ago, I went to visit my mom just for a day would have been her wedding anniversary and I wanted to spend that day with my mom dad passed her the next day but I flew to Miami I got there late at night my plane was late I used my Uber app and I called for an Uber you know like the taxi and it said 4 minutes and I watched I watched that car approach to where I was I walked out from concourse H gate 21 and on my app it is smart enough to know exactly where I was standing except it didn't know if I was upstairs or downstairs. But it knew exactly where I was. Uber can do that. GPS can do that. But God knows exactly where you are. But it doesn't just know your physical location. He knows the condition of your heart, and He knows the unspoken cry that He is waiting to hear from you that says, God, I have reached the end of myself. I desperately need you. Would you bow your head and would you pray like that to God? Lord, I lift my voice to you today. Lord God, we are a people like the church of Laodicea that have no idea how desperately we need you. And I pray right now, God, that you would work in this church in the people that are here today that desperately need an answer to, from God. I pray, O oh Lord, that someone would humble themselves before you and they would pray a desperate prayer from the heart. For it is a cry of God, a cry of the heart, that touches the heart of God. fila Moshe. Sandal mu kepada Rama Santa Maya Would you lift your hand to the Lord and would you begin to say thank you, Jesus? Would you be more like Samuel who said, here am I, Lord, than Jonah who ran from God? Would you stand right now? I'm inviting you to come to a place of prayer, to move out from your comfort zone, out from your sacred seat and move to a place of sincere prayer today. Just step out from wherever you are. Make a move toward God.